0: Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. Now, interestingly, this is the first mention of illness in the Bible. We are 48 chapters into the story of humankind, and this is the first mention of anyone getting sick. That is interesting. It raises the question, Did the people of Cain's day and Noah's day and Abraham's day ever get sick? Or is sickness something that began in the days of Joseph, or more specifically, in the last days, the last day, maybe, of Jacob? I don't know. And the Bible doesn't say exactly. The Bible says that we are fallen and falling, and it often refers to the diseases of Egypt, as, for example, in Deuteronomy 7.15, where Moses says, And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. So future blessing, according to Moses, involves an end to diseases and sickness that are associated in some way with the sojourn in Egypt. Now, why exactly that was and what exactly that means is left unexplained in the Bible, but it is interesting. Verse 1 goes on to say, So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me behold i will make you fruitful and multiply you and i will make of you a company of peoples and i will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession now that phrase an everlasting possession is likely intended as a contrast to chapter 47 verse 11 where it says that joseph's father and brothers were granted a holding in the land of Egypt, in the best part of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had instructed. Pharaoh granted them a holding. God gave them an everlasting possession. Only God can give an everlasting possession. Pharaoh's gifts are always and ever fading. Verse 5 says, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So here, Jacob formally and legally adopts the two oldest sons of Joseph, As his own, Ephraim and Manasseh are now to be considered sons of Jacob alongside Reuben and Simeon. In fact, the Jews understood that because of this event, Ephraim replaced Reuben as the legal and spiritual firstborn son of Israel. So 1 Chronicles 5, 1-2, for example, in giving the genealogy of Jacob says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest one. Though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph, 1 Chronicles 5, 1-2. So there, the chronicler of later Israel said that although Reuben was in fact the firstborn son of Jacob, he would not be counted as such because he had slept with Bilhah. Therefore, that legal status was conferred upon the sons of Joseph, Ephraim in particular. Now, this does not mean the line of Ephraim would be the line of kings. No, that honor still resides with Judah, the chronicler says, but the legal status of firstborn went to Joseph and specifically to his son Ephraim. And that is why often in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, Israel, the nation is referred to simply as Ephraim. So for example, we see in Isaiah 11, 13, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Ephraim Ephraim is Israel, specifically the northern tribes, and Judah is the land of the Davidic kings. All of that stems from this adoption by Jacob in Genesis 48. Verse 7 goes on to say, As for me, when I came to Paden, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now, this verse is a bit confusing. Why is it here and what does it mean? The JPS Torah commentary is very helpful. It says, traditional commentators, so these would be traditional Jewish commentators, have by and large understood this verse to be an apologia by Jacob for troubling his son with the arduous task of burying him in the cave of Machpelah when he himself had not done the same for Rachel, Joseph's mother, who had died but a short distance from the site." Quote. So, Jacob is attending to the final details of his life, and while doing so he apologizes and explains why he didn't arrange for Rachel to be buried in the family tomb. He was overcome with grief, and he buried her where she died. Now he is taking more care with his end-of-life arrangements, and that includes formally and legally adopting these two boys as a thank-you gesture to Joseph and a tribute to their grandmother Rachel, whom he fears he did not properly honor in death. Verse 8 says, When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father. They are my sons, whom God has given me here. (laughs) Ironically, Jacob takes great care to ensure that he is blessing the right sons. Jacob is a man who has learned his lessons hard and well. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So, Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Are you seeing this? Jacob is intentionally blessing the younger as if he were the older. He is doing intentionally what he tricked his father into doing accidentally. Verse 15. And he blessed Joseph. Now the L. XX, the Septuagint, has he blessed them to avoid confusion, but the text means that he was blessing the boys as a gift to Joseph. Joseph the one became, through the boys, Joseph the two. He was receiving a double portion in his sons, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The reference to the angel there calls to mind the times that God appeared to Jacob, tangibly. God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. We teach that to our kids at our church through our little catechism. So when God appears in a body or appears in a visible form, the Bible usually speaks of that as God's angel or the angel of the Lord. We've mentioned that before. Verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So... He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. The blessings of God are rarely transmitted, as we would suppose, in the Bible. This is a a major theme in the New Testament as well. Paul reflects on this at length in Romans chapter 9. He remarks upon the fact that Isaac, but not Ishmael, received the special blessing of God. And from that inferred that blessings are not given on the basis of fleshly relationship alone. Not all the children of Abraham inherit the blessings of God. So it's not about race. And it's not about seniority. He remembered Rachel being told the older will serve the younger. And it's not about personal merit. He makes that point explicit in Romans 9, 11. Although they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, Romans 9, 11 to 13. So it's not about race. It's not about seniority. It's not about merit. And so we might ask, well, on what basis then are the promises and blessings of God given? Why are some chosen and some not? He doesn't say specifically. He remembers that God said to Moses, I will have mercy on him whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Romans 9, 15 to 16. The Bible never says specifically why God chooses one in a special way and not the other. Why God blesses one and not the other. It just tells us what it's never about. It's never about race, hierarchy, or merit. It's never about that. That we can say for sure. And it's never unjust. We can say that too. Paul says in Romans 9.14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So it's not unjust, but we are not told on what basis precisely these sorts of decisions are made. It's, it's not race, hierarchy, or personal merit. We, we can and we should say that. But beyond that, we should simply cover our mouths and remember that the judge of all things does right. God shows mercy on whom he will, and he has compassion on whom he will. Paul will say no more and he ends the section appropriately by saying for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen there is some mystery and some inscrutable purpose behind these decisions that we see in the Old and in the New Testament. And we likely won't get the answers to all the questions we have until we meet the Lord on the other side. Verse 21 says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, we're not told any more information about this particular slope, but it was added unto Joseph, and by that we understand, added to the territory allotted to his sons. Joseph thought he had lost it all when he was sold into Egypt as a slave. But here, as with Job, we see the Lord restoring all that the locust has devoured. Joseph has been given 17 years with his father, whom he thought he had lost forever at the age of 17. He has been given a double portion and a mountain slope besides. After he thought he would die a pauper in Potiphar's prison. As Proverbs 13, 21 says, disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the End of the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing gospel-preaching churches. Here at Into the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand, on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca.